Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What a a great day, you guys. Um, (laughs) So, is Dragonlance on its way to 5th edition? Well, the new Unearthed Arcana seems to say so. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next D&D adventure. I am super excited for today's topic. Um, I was a big fan of the Dragonlance books. I don't know if either of you have read them. Unfortunately, no. Uh, I've read a little bit of them. uh, It's a pretty great uh, setting, and I absolutely fell in love with it reading through some of the books. Um, It's very prominent right alongside the Dark Sun setting, so... Um, for those people that are out there, like me, we're really excited for it. Um, I'm just amazed we're getting any Dragonlance stuff after the lawsuit. <laughs> there was a lawsuit? I wasn't even, there was a lawsuit? I wasn't Last even... year, yeah, it was huge. Oh, not huge enough for <laughs> oh, me to know. I notice. remember hearing something about it. I don't know what it was, though. <laughs> uh, basically, they hired, like, the old authors to make, make new books. <laughs> Wizards wouldn't approve the uh, draft, even though their contract obligated them to. So oh, the lawsuits, So the... <laughs> Authors took them to court about it. Oh, did the authors win? They sold it out of court. (laughs) Read it, Rainbow. (laughs) Love reading Rainbow. All right. So uh, I want to kind of, before we get into the details of the Unearthed Arcana, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the Dragonlance setting. Yes. Um, It it started, uh, it was a very prominent setting uh, that came out of early D&D. It's the world of Kryn in the Kryn space solar system. Um, what's really cool is that sets it really apart for me is the fact that um, it the unique magic the magic society is based around uh, or some of them are based around like the three moons that the that the world has and actually we see that in the subclass that we're going to be talking about today. It's um, kind of a neat one actually. Yeah, and it, uh, Dragonlance was created by uh, Laura and Tracy Hickman and expanded by Tracy Hickman and Margaret, it, I think it's Weiss, if Weiss, I'm yep. wrong, sorry, um, under the direction of TSR Inc., which is really cool, which then uh, which led from it being a, a set of adventures into an entire um, campaign setting, um, which I think was uh, done really, really well. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, good short stories that were contributed and that really brought the, the world of Kryn to life. Um, it is kind of like our world in the fact that it's got it's mostly water, um, but it's mostly got like three major continents and a couple smaller ones. Um, I think the, the if I recall right, the, the first uh, the main continent where most of the stories take place was Ancelon. Um, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. That's how I've always said it, um, which is really cool. But it's just like any other fantasy, high fantasy setting. You got uh, dwarves, gnomes, elves, minotaurs, all those sorts of things. Um, but one that really set them apart was the Kendar. Um, and honestly, this is something I was reading. Some people don't like the Kendar. Ken- I thought it was um, Kender. I thought it was like a play off well, the word Kender well, as in child. Yeah. Well, so. Well, the Kendar were basically the 
Dragonlance's version of the halflings. So, well, they wanted to really separate themselves. So that's actually yeah. one of the features we're going to talk about today is the the the, the Kendar, and it started out as uh, kinder. K-I-N-D-E-R, but they ended up changing it because the goal was to be Kinder. Um, so they ended up changing it to Kinder. It's a whole it's a whole thing. But they basically uh, were like kleptomaniacs. Yep. And I guess uh, some people didn't like that, especially in the 5th edition, I could see, because it's no longer their kleptomaniacs. It's, it's stuff just disappears around them because they're curious. Right. Which <laughs> is interesting. Well, that's always how, how it worked, too. The problem, though, was... The reason where they came from was because they had a lack of ownership, if you will. Yep. And they were naturally curious. Oh, what's this thing? They put it in their pockets. And not necessarily all players knew how to roleplay that, if you will, so they would yep. steal from the party. Yep. <laughs> I'll take a look at it later. Where's my inhaler? And so I think that they did this really well. So let's, uh, we're going to talk about some of the uh, unique details yeah. about it. The the Kendar are short and statured and all that jazz, um, yep. which I think is fun. Uh, Ian already right. mentioned that they're kind of like halflings, um, yeah. except they were like kleptos. <laughs> um, so here they are uh, native to the Kryn world, which is really uh, cool. They are very scrawny. They got elven ears, um, but they're not as like plunky as hobbits are typically portrayed. Yep. So I think that that, or halflings, I guess, too. Um, so that's a really good uh, change in my opinion. But what's really cool is some of the features that they got. Um, obviously, they're a humanoid. They're small. They move 30 feet. But they have brave, just like the gnome, I believe. Or is that halfling? I feel like it's halfling. Okay, it might be halfling. Uh, but what's really cool is, is they get the yeah. Kender Ace. So starting at third level, you possess a magical ability to pull an item out of a bag or another container as a bonus action. What's this do? You basically <laughs> reach into one of these objects... And just grab something, and there's a Kender Aces ta uh, die table that's 1d6 that gives you a, a multitude of random things. Uh, it could, goes anywhere from a simple weapon of your choice to 5d6 gold pieces to a random trinket from the player's handbook, which is a player's handbook uh, t uh, trinket table, a grappling hook, a crowbar. Um, basically, you can expand this. The DM can expand this as much as they want, but pretty much anything, not more than 10 gold pieces, which is really cool. The catch, though, is, and I know what you guys are thinking, I can pull out 5d6 gold pieces out of my pocket regularly? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. Well, everything glimmers softly and disappears after an hour. Oh. So, uh, oh, yeah, Ken Kendar Thief, anyone? <laughs> buy stuff? Or, uh, buy, uh, buy stuff with it and then go sell it somewhere else and the money just, poof, disappears. Oh. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I definitely think that's them trying to, of course, compensate for their old habits. Yes. But I'm not sure how well that's going to necessarily work out. Well, they actually <laughs> go into a little farther than that yeah. uh, um, with the uh, uh, some of the other features. And I think that's really cool. Right before we go on any farther with the Kender, what do you guys think about this Kender Aces feature? Now that I know it disappears in one hour, it sounds a lot more fun, and you can take advantage of it, like what you just said. <laughs> it's no different than the, uh, so the Eldritch Knight who can make his yes, weapon come back. Yes, yes. We had that happen in one of our games. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rowan uh, <laughs> was an eldritch knight with the bonded blade and sold the bonded blade and then just conjured it back to herself. That would have break the game. <laughs> I know there's been a few times where we encountered some guards who were clearly looking for bribes to get let into the city. I'm like, mm -hmm. here you go! Here's a button piece, which I created with, with presentation. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to trick them, too. So there is one thing. Uh, they do get another feature. So now that we've talked about the Kender Aces, they get a feature that is screams, I'm playing a Kender Bard. They get Taunt. They have a supernatural ability. 
to home in on a creature's emotional raw nerves and basically craft a taunt that flusters the target. As a bonus action, you can unleash a barrage of insults to a creature within 60 feet of you that can hear and understand you. The target must succeed a wisdom save or have disadvantage on the next attack roll. You can use this number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. I love this. Part of me also thinks, like, you need a feature for that. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I really do enjoy this. Um, do you think it, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I really think this is uh, screaming fun bard mechanics, because not only is it a bonus action, um, it's not a spell, it's an ability, yep. <laughs> um, which is interesting, which means it probably can't be counterspelled or anything like that. Um, and it re, uh, how often does it come back? I think it's when you finish a, a long rest. So even at level one, when you pick this race, you can really cause trouble for any enemies attacking your, uh, allies, which I think is really, really cool. We're looking at taunt, right? Yeah. The taunt feature. So overall, what do you guys think about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all you gotta do is gotta, gotta cackle. The fact that it's not magic, I think, it makes it, uh, and it's a bonus action, makes it superior to Vicious Mockery. Yep. The way I'm seeing this is, normally when you hear of a, an ability that's like taunt, it's, it's saying, oh, come and get me, and you're taunting the enemy to come to you. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's it's more like an annoying child sitting off in the corner calling you a, a dickhead or something like that. You're like, motherfucker, and he just keeps distracting you. I'm thinking of the guy from Happy Gilmore. You suck, you, you jackass! jackass. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when I did, saw this. Did you become a thief because you're an orphan and no one loves you? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty much the Kender. Uh, I really like it. I think it's fun. Um, if you want to follow along with us uh, yeah, as we cool. make our way through the uh, Earnest Arcana content, uh, please uh, head on over to CritAcademy.com and check out the blog for this episode. There is a link uh, directly to the PDF for the Unearth Arcana, or you can go Google it. But we appreciate the traffic, and you can get our other notes. I am now picturing the taunt as a child who has zero filter. <laughs> this is what I'm <laughs> undermine. <laughs> now, as we talk about the sort, the Lunar Magic Sorcerer subclass, I do want to preface this with, this is broken right now. It is so powerful yeah. in comparison to the other ones. I hope that that's an accident and not a sliding. On the flip side, have you seen what the stuff from Tasha does? <laughs> no, I mean like in raw, raw like utility I, and damage, this still outshines all that stuff, and he, that's a problem. I mean, if you look at what the Clockwork Sorcerer does and the other one does in Tasha's, though, they're pretty ridiculous compared to the other sorcerers. Well, I'm hoping that they, they bring it down a little bit. The other concern <laughs> I have with this is that we're getting more to the overpoweredness that's in Strixhaven, which I don't like. Strixhaven introduced backgrounds with powers and features and stuff that I don't like because I hate power creep because it starts to make the early stuff obsolete. Unfortunately, we've been hmm. seeing power creep in well, every yeah. edition, really. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> but this one they managed to put it off pretty long. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I am uh, going cool. to uh, share my own thoughts via their survey when I'm, I'm done yeah. because I want them to know that this, in my opinion, this isn't okay. But... That doesn't change the fact that this is really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's get into it. So uh, the Lunar Magic um, is based, uh, uh, um, I think it says here, how many, uh, on many worlds, the moon is revered celestial body with magical properties. On Crid, Crin, the gods of magic are associated with the world's three moons. 
on the world of Toro, the god Saloon uses the light of the moon to battle uh, darkness. On Eberron, you scholars of the Draconic prophecy decipher ancient secrets of the waxing and waning of the world's 12 moons. So when you pick up this uh, lineage, um, you kind of get a little bit of versatility because of that. And I think it's really interesting. So at um, first level, when you pick this, you get to choose a manifestation of your power, uh, which is pretty cool. And it starts with the, the Moonfire. Brandon, do you want to tell us about the Moonfire power? Moonfire as a first level lunar magic feature. Uh, you can call down the radiant light of the moon on command. You learn the sacred flame spell, which doesn't count against the number of sorcerer cantrips you know. Well, that's nice. Uh, when you cast a spell, you can target one creature as normal, or target two creatures within range that are within five feet of each other. And that is my first problem right there. <laughs> right where I was going. You took a, a, a cantrip and on a sorcerer who already has a meta magic to do this and let him do it for free. Twin a spell, basically, so long as they're within range of five feet of each other. Um, I like the idea uh, of giving them Sacred Flame. I don't like the idea that it does it to two creatures. I would say in Wizards of the Coast, Chris, I know you're listening, maybe that if the cr- first creature that's targeted succeeds the save, maybe then you can hit another one. And they might both fail, but I think them both doing two dan- target yeah. is not not okay. Yeah, but, <laughs> but they still got to be within five feet of each other. So? That's that's not a hard th- goal to accomplish. It's also I mean, not a hard thing to avoid if you're the DM. Oh, see, now you're getting an attack. It's tactics to counter the players, <laughs> and I don't like that at all. Yeah, well, there's a balance there, but hey. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. If you think um, it's broken, unbreak it. Uh, Garwin says. <laughs> Damn it. Garwin says, I don't know if it's official D and D or if it's just the community calling the core books being updated in D and D five E. Yeah, they have they haven't called it five point five E. That's definitely the community, but why not? But given what we know, five point five does not seem out of line. Yeah, because that you've had that in the past with, with the third edition. All right, and uh, fourth for that matter, with essentials. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Essentials was like a, a, a mid-grade to it, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so at first level, besides getting the broken moon fire, you, uh, Ian, do you want to tell us about the lunar embodiment? This is cool. Yep. I love this mechanic. This is yep. so neat. It actually kind of is. You want additional spells when you reach certain levels, as you do with a lot of archetypes. But what makes this unique is the fact that there's, there's three different lunar phases that you can adapt to. Full moon, new moon, and crescent moon. And each one has its own spell list. Yes. That's so cool. That's the short version of that. And you can change on the long rest. Yes. So this this gives you a lot of versatility. And uh, it almost is like a, a lesser version of the wizards preparing different spells, yep. right? And just like for like a short version, like a full moons like Fairy Fire, Moonbeam, Mascure Wounds, New Moons, Isn't It Whispers, Darkness, Mislead, or Crescent Moon is Sanctuary, Phantom Steed, or Dream. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really, really cool. And so that's just one of them. Uh, and and they, yeah. they 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 you can tell that they're categorized right. Yeah. Like the new moon is more dark based. You've got you know curse and dissonant whispers and black tentacles and all that stuff. And then full moon is dealing with moonbeam and fi- uh, fairy fire, masculine wounds. So and you get you can change this at long rest, which I think gives you a lot of fun versatility. Until you don't. But that's uh. <laughs> Um, so that to me was huh. a very interesting mechanic. They're missing a moon phase. Well, maybe they just decided three was plenty. 
Yeah. Well, they're missing a moon face. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so uh, at level six, they get the lunar boons, which I think is pretty cool, which basically um, <laughs> uh, influences your meta magic. Each lunar phase is associated with spells in the following school. That's so cool. Uh, the full moon, the new moon, and the crescent moon. Full moon is abjuration and conjuration spells. New is evocation and necromancy. There's that darkness I was talking about. Uh, and uh, crescent moon is divination and transmutation. So whenever you use a meta magic from a lunar spells table that's associated with the lunar phase that you are in. God, that seems complicated. Uh, you can reduce the sorcery points by one to a minimum of zero. Some of your meta magic can cost zero points. Which is crazy. <laughs> Which is another point that I'd like to say that I think it should be a minimum of one. Now, it is worth... Except for a cantrip, maybe. Yeah. It is worth noting that you can only do this the number of times per day equal to your proficiency bonus. Yeah. So oh, it does no. limit it, but... But there's a lot you can do <laughs> with a zero cost uh, 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 meta magic. It's like, yeah, get if you put this in the right player's hands, it can be kind of crazy. Yeah. So, Although inversely, if your players can do it, so you're... can the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Garwin says, "I can imagine wizards accidentally making a core subclasses way more powerful and making all expanded subclasses obsolete." I don't know that I can see that, but I definitely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, that's always something you got to worry about, too. But all of that said, some of the stuff in the PHP is still some of the best stuff. But, yeah. But no, how's it some, not yeah. all. <laughs> so uh, there's a couple more powers you get. Uh, waxing and waning at uh, level, sixth level, where you get greater control over their phases. As a bonus action, you can spend a sorcery point to change your lunar phase. That's really cool. So now that versatility can come into play. Um, the lunar empowerment, uh, Brandon, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? We have to get the lunar empowerment is the fourteenth level lunar magic feature. Uh, the power of a lunar phase saturates your being. Whenever you choose a lunar <laughs> phase to affect your magic, you also gain the following benefit associated with that phase. On the full moon, you shed bright light in a ten foot radius and dim light for an additional ten feet. In addition, <laughs> you and <laughs> you and creatures of your choice have advantage on saving throws while within the bright light you shed so you can be a paladin got it yes ah. <laughs> on the new moon you have advantage on dexterity stealth checks that makes sense because the whole dark feature you were talking about yep being sneaky in addition while you are in dim light or darkness uh attack rolls have disadvantage against you not gonna lie probably thought when i read this like don't you already, don't you already have that, that? That's well, what I thought. It well, at least, well, at least it's against creatures that don't have don't dark have visions. dark vision. But this applies even if they do. Yeah. Um, uh, Crescent Moon, you have a resistance to necrotic and radiant damage, which I think is really cool. Damage. So that one's pretty more uh, uh, straightforward than some of the other more complex yeah. mixes. Um, Ian, do you want to tell us about the last one in a general sense, so we can move on? Yep, the lunar phenomenon. As a bonus action, you can tap into to the lunar phases that you're currently in, and as part of your bonus action, you can change y your lunar phase using the waxing and waning feature, and you can immediately use the following powers. Full moon, you can radiate intense moonlight up to 30 feet, and uh, yes. creatures of your choice have to draw a con save or be blinded. I love it. And, and, and creatures of your choice also regain 3d8 hit points. It's a healing power. That's so cool. A healing and a debuff yeah, power. That's great. Yeah. New Moon, you can uh, basically radiate gloom within 30 feet, and uh, anyone who, of your choice who feels a deck save must take a 3d10 necrotic damage and have a speed reduced of nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> Stop, bitches! And uh, you can become invisible to the, to the end of your next turn or until you attack or cast a spell. And then Crescent Moon, 
You can slip through light and darkness, and you can teleport oh, up to six cool. feet away, and you can also regain resistance to all damage until solve your next turn. Now there is a limit, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And once you use use a phase bonus action, so you can't do so again until you finish a long rest, unless you spend five sorcery points, but you're level eighteen points. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So uh I, I there's a question that popped up that said during future supplements by DM's council, uh being released by Watsi, how much of a power creep is allowed to not totally overshadow the older books. I say there shouldn't be any. They're creative enough. There's no reason that there needs to be an imbalance in the game. Unfortunately, though, we've definitely seen some imbalances here and there, even with the discussion with Monsters of the Ultra Multiverse, which I won't get into, because that can be a full rant on itself, yeah. but hey. <laughs> um, I would say, and th- now that's just Justin's opinion, yeah. um, which is always right, so listen to me, Watsi. I know Chris and... and uh... <sighs> <laughs> I know Chris and Crawford are listening. Uh, you, we're they're creative enough that they can find a variety of ways to do things without outshining the typical. Ad. I mean, you're going to have some that are a little stronger and some that are a little weaker. But at the weaker end, there's going to be uh, a trade off there. Usually, it's utility or survivability yeah. or or something along those lines. And I think that they they've managed to find a good balance for the most up part. until <laughs> Tasha's came out. Yeah. But I think that was more of a result of all the versatility that they added. Well, even huh. Tasha's, there was some stuff here and there that was like, oh my god, this is freaking r- r- ridiculous. And there was also a, a few that was like, wow, I even use this. Yeah. You know, I think you're always going to have that. Yeah. What? Uh, back to this whole lunar thing, you know I'm surprised that they didn't add was uh, lunar and solar eclipses to affect them in some way. That's good. Maybe I'll write one. Who knows? <laughs> I can handle it. All right. So that'll do it for the uh, the lunar magic. I really like the lunar magic feel. I think that the 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 more complex features uh, adds a bit of fun complexity to an otherwise more simplified spellcaster. I mean, yeah. not as simple as the Warlock. But <laughs> All right. They also have a background here called the Knight of Salamania. I thought Salmania. that said Salami. Salami. <laughs> Salamania. Um, these are equivalent. equivalent <laughs> these are the equivalent of like holy warriors of virtue, right? Now, yes, the, the 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 knights of Salmania have in the past in the books had their own corruption. What what form of anything? Uh, does but some of the greatest heroes come from these so um, what I really think is really cool about that is uh, they touch on the typical proficiencies athletic survival um, you get the insignia all that pretty interesting stuff but I really like the feature you gain a squire of Salmania feet presented later in this document which we'll talk about yeah in a, actually we probably should talk about it right, right now since we're discussing it in addition the knights uh, salami <laughs> <laughs> provide you free <laughs> modest lodging and food for their fortress now the night's I, this comes back to what i said i don't like about uh, how strixhaven they, how did i miss the part where it says you gain a feat when you get this background yeah anyway. so <laughs> let, well that's that's how all the strixhaven books are and i don't yeah. like that um if a player said they wanted to play one i you can't really say no <laughs> well i can say no but i don't typically I mean, but i mean within the realm of that setting yeah uh, and, yeah right right but for me, I don't like it because that's the only book up until this unearthed arcana that introduced feats yeah. um, to backgrounds. And I don't know how I feel about that, but I understand why they're doing it because there's a lot of people that wish they had more influential options, right? Hmm. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is like I've always criticized how feats were implemented in 5th edition in the first place. So, yeah. so, the, so the, the, the Squire of Salmania, uh, Salamnia, Oh, yeah. Salmonella. Uh, 
of feet. It gives you martial training, which means you gain proficiency gain with armor. medium armor and martial weapons from a background. And you get defensive rider. You have advantage on saving throws made to avoid falling off a mount. And you get encouraging rally. When another creature you can see within 30 feet of you makes a saving throw, uh, you can use your reaction to inspire them. If the target can hear you and understand you, they gain advantage on the save. You can use this. Uh, this use, Once you use this reaction, you can't do so until you finish the long rest. So I, My knee-jerk reaction was with the martial training part. I'm like, I feel like most characters who would take that background would already have half that stuff anyway maybe but it's once again it's still a, a feat that provides a mechanical yeah. benefit what i loved about backgrounds to begin with was the fact that they were flavor based almost entirely besides the proficiencies yeah and that was something i really enjoyed so that's just justin knights of salami yeah. <laughs> <laughs> salmonella uh anyways so uh Overall, that's that's kind of my only beef with this because that's the that's another power creep, right? Yep. Now, when they do the the five point five or whatever, and they do this to all the builds, then you're no longer saying it's compatible with regular content. You're saying the other content can be used, but it's inferior, which is how they're going to sell more books. Huh. And I know that's what they're going for. Shame on you guys. And we've seen this before. Yes. Uh, but it, I mean, it was bad in some other editions, but I think it's yeah. been, it's, it's been expected for 5e for a while, I guess. Um, so, uh, there's a couple of, what do you guys think about that background right off the bat besides my rant about it being? Broken? I thought the flair for the background itself was fine, but like, like I said, I think they're trying to compensate for, for <laughs> the size of the sword. <laughs> well, for some Overall, that's been kind of a problem that always kind of be adjusted in this edition. But at the same time, it makes it so OP in a way where it's like, okay, now what? Right, right. Now, granted, this is rooted to if you're just using this setting. Right. Which I think is what they're going for, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I see. <laughs> it's a salami quote. Let us go for tomato, we bacon. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I've never really walked out on a job before. You're about to. Well, it, it's getting really close. <laughs> no, uh, that that is something I know. Something I like about the backgrounds is that you get the uh, proficiency bonuses, and sometimes it says, "Okay, you get an extra like, uh, you get a deck of cards, or yep. maybe here's a few pouches of extra gold or something." And seeing a feat come with a background makes me a little nervous. But yeah, that's that's my thing too. Yeah, and they did it in Strixhaven. I was like, "Oh, that's dumb. Why did they do that?" At least when you got a specific setting book. You can play with a little bit of that stuff because right. it's tied to that setting. But yep. then you're still struggling, throwing DMs under the bus who then might want to have to say no to that. And... Although, let's. As a kind of my rebuttal, though, in the past, how much benefit do you often get from a lot of backgrounds in the first place? I, mean, I think that depends on if the player and the DM bring them into the story. Exactly. And I, I think at least in this way, you're at least guaranteeing a benefit, aside from proficiency skills. Does that make any sense? No, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I um, believe it at that. I understand yep. that, but I... Yep. I'm just saying they managed to upgrade all of the backgrounds in a way. And that's what I said. If yeah. if if they when they really release the books at five point five, if all the backgrounds get something like this, yep. then it balances out. But yeah. you're still gonna have people with old content that won't. Well, I think they at least take the old backgrounds, but then give say you also gain this feat along with it. Mm -hmm. Then at least it's relatively yeah. Even? And I can see that at least then they're trying to standardize it. But that's just yeah. that um, seems fair. Uh, and then brilliant, and I applaud it. 
<laughs> All right, so there is another uh, background here. It is the Mage of High Sorcery. Uh, the in on Kryn, the Mages of High Sorcery are um, are brutal. Um, they literally have like contests. The, the test, I think, is if I remember, is what it's called, where they actually send wizard or mages through these gauntlets, and either they succeed or they die. <laughs> it's so bad (laughs) i don't think um, i've gone to that part of the books yet (laughs) it's so bad uh so for i wouldn't want to be a major high sorcery because you're basically giving to the player you did this great achievement while others did not but yeah so i think that's a interesting one um you want to tell us a little bit about some of the features that you get uh brandon before we move on yes uh Oh, I'll go through those. Go proficiency. No, just what is the feature? I mean, everyone can assume that the mage is going to get arcana. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That does make sense. Okay, yeah. Uh, Feature, initiate of high sorcery. You gain the initiate of high sorcery feat. Present the leader in this document. (laughs) In addition, the mages of high sorcery provide you with free, modest lodging and food indefinitely and any occupied tower of high sorcery and for one night at the home of an organization member. It's the same thing as the other one. So, I... As a player, I feel like uh, anytime if I have a feature like that, anytime we go into a town, is this here? <laughs> I know it happens when I have the uh, what is the the folk hero background. Like I need to find somebody that'll give me shelter. There it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is an example of yeah, I have this background, but it almost never comes up. Even though I said repeatedly, I have this background, people should know who I am. If that makes any sense. Yeah, sorry if I missed that. Well, I'm, well, I'm I'm not giving that. I'm not paying that on just you. I'm just paying it on Dean in general. Feel that right unless here. unless people like remind me, I'll forget. No, you're not being attacked. <laughs> it's like, uh, boy, I have a I have a criminal content. It's like, fuck, I forgot about that. Okay, fine. Yes, you know this now. Yeah, yeah. definitely need to to have that stuff out and available. Uh, all right, so uh, the initiative of high sorcery feat basically gives you access to a first level spell uh, with restrictions based on the moon, which moon you choose and cantrips. Yeah. Uh, so and it's yeah, basically the isn't the spell adapt thing like that kind of and it's also worth noting too that the um these feats do fork into other feats of like uh, various orders within both organizations that we don't have time to get into now that is something i would like to see expanded upon and i'm glad you brought that up i know we don't have time to go into the rest of the feats you can go to the and open up the unearthed arcana but i like the idea of almost uh, uh you're basically taking feats that specialize now the more I kind of read this document, I'm like, I guess technically the DMG does indicate that you can give extra features to players, mm-hmm. and feats can be one of them, and I kind of feel like these can potentially go off that. It's... Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. So there's a lot to this. Um, obviously, this isn't going to be, this is just playtest material, so if you're listening, uh, Jeremy and Chris, and I know you are, because I know you you watch <laughs> us because we're great, Um Please make some adjustments to the lunar lunar uh, lunar mage because it is broken as hell. <laughs> I could I could definitely see like like the magic thing if you limit it to like just cantrips for example. Yes, I agree, and that's what I think I think I made a, a point of that too. So uh, uh, so we got a question here I think from the DM's uh. council. What would be your method for letting players take advantage of some of the lesser used features in each background? Example, not only picking a background for only the proficiencies and skills. First and foremost, reminding the DM that you have those. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I'm guilty of this, but I do make an effort. I know, for instance, in our um, in our uh, Plane Shifters campaign, which you can watch every other Friday on our YouTube channel right here. 
<laughs> um, one of the core aspects of the game right now is them getting from Ravnica home. And so the artificer is a core part of that. He's not dead. And he died. <laughs> so as the DM, I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. <laughs> and to be fair, we did discuss some of that behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but a lot of that is bringing it into the story in a way that makes sense. Like, for instance, um, if Brandon's playing a criminal uh, rogue, and I know that he's got it, first, you got to be reminded, because if you're not paying attention, it's yeah. easy to forget about that stuff. You can include that in your design for when they're seeking out information. Because I think a player will lose their mind if you turn and say, um, what's the name of one of your characters? Malachite. Malachite. <laughs> this information you guys are seeking. Seeking. You believe that you might be able to find a contact that can help you locate said information. Now, uh, a criminal contact. It's as simple as that. Because they're going to have to go look for that information anyway, right? You just say, how are they going to get it? Well, this guy's a criminal. This guy's an artificer. He probably, uh, what's a, uh, what's the background you got? Uh, sage, probably. So, he's got the sage. So, maybe uh, 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 Merle goes to a wizard's tower to seek the information. And Malachite goes and looks in the underground. You basically uh-huh. just <laughs> you basically just role play it out from there. Um, that's about is uh, the best you can do. Just think about those things when deciding how they can discover the information. Regardless if it's an investigation check to find something, they're going to approach it differently. You know what I mean? So that would be my recommendation. Sorry, there's a lot going. I'm trying to keep up with it. Hello, uh, magistrate. I'm looking for information regarding this. So uh, for the main topic, I think that that will do it today. Um, I really am excited for Heroes of Kren. I love that D&D is beginning to expand to some of their other settings. I'm really, really looking forward to Dark Sun, um, which I know is going to come, because if it doesn't, Chris, Jeremy, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) Um, But anyways, uh, that'll do it for our main topic. Before we move on to our honor tips and tricks, I have to show you guys something. What the hell is this? We've... Huh? We've partnered with uh, 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 and become affiliates with Only Crits. These guys are awesome. Check this bad boy thing out, right? When did this happen? Um, well, you've been day. gone for months. <laughs> I've been gone for two weeks. It sure seems like months. Oh, my God. Um, all right. So I got this really cool thing. First of all, it comes yeah. with a nice little dice. You got this really nice inscription of a dragon on it. It's a nice little dice holder. It can hold pens and stuff. Uh, the thing that I like more than anything. Where's your phone? Do those yeah. dice have dicks in them? The fact that it doubles as a dice Yes. Card? So the dice that they actually sell to you have little... This one's got pink ducks in it. It's oh, so ducks. Cool. I said dicks, and you said yes, and I thought that oh, was thought fucking you hilarious. <laughs> you got no, penis they're, dice. they're so Those beautiful. Very they're things. good qualities. This one, I think, has, like, weapons in it, like axes or something, um, which is pretty neat. Um, they make really good quality. Um, I can't... My phone's not here, but I sit my phone oh, right here, phone and you can scroll through your phone with all your other stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, they got all kinds of cool stuff. The dice are pretty nice. There's a place, basically, it's a portable uh, pack. for your mini, maybe. <laughs> There's a place for minis. And what's cool is it's held together by magnets. And it's actually pretty strong. So uh, consider checking this out and checking out Pick Up Some Other Dice. Um, they, we are affiliates, so we do get a, uh, a bit of a, a commission for it. But you'll also save 10%. So we all win. They get a sale, we get a kickback, and you get a discount and an amazing product. Yeah. The dice are awesome. That's all I've been using. And I haven't rolled a one yet. And, uh, of course, I've only had two games with them. <laughs> That's your curse. That is your curse right there. Uh, and the code uh, is make sure, crit. Yeah, C-R-I-T. Make sure you, yeah, make sure to use uh, discount code uh, crit. Shop only crits. Um, <laughs> Step so, into a mystical world. Only crits, but it was only fans, but for dice rolling. 
Dude, that's a million dollar idea right there. It's like only ah. kids. It's like there might be a marker for that. D and D after hours. <laughs> oh, let's see if I can still do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character cast-up today is Kobe, the adventurer. Kobe. Now, this is a mop-haired kid <laughs> who manages to stand gingly, even at his short height. He was all knees and elbows. Their equipment is a little more than bringing forth hunting gear and a small bag of keepsakes. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personality, uh, ever the optimist, Kobe f- often finds the bright side of any situation. Uh, their inexperience is evidence, b- evidenced by the fearsome monster they took as a name, Kobold. They come from a s- <laughs> Kobe Kobold? Yep. They come from a small village many days journey away from any trade cities. As such, they rely on their hunters to, de- to defend from raids instead of uh, guards. <laughs> As far as motivations go, Kobe was always deemed too small for hunting and defense, but when local regent denied them protection from increased monster activity, they couldn't take it anymore. No one should be too small to protect, and if no one else would, Kobe would. Toby would. (laughs) The only problem? They have no training and experience to speak of. Fine, I'll do it myself. But you don't know how. Shut up! <laughs> That's a small inconvenience. Um, this was submitted by our uh, uh, Crit Nation member, uh, Sartrian Penguin. Thank you so much. I think yeah, this yeah. is fun. I love the idea of a character who is wants to help but just has no experience. Is this a dagger? Is this a sword? Short sword? Bastard sword? Do you know your shit? Look, all you need to know is the pointy end goes in the enemy. That's all you need. <laughs> Which one's the enemy? <laughs> Which one's the pointy end? <laughs> oh god oh no we're in trouble dude how hilarious would it be for a player to show up with their sword end of their blade wrapped in leather so they can hold it and beat somebody with the hilt you mean half sorting is that a thing yes oh jesus what <laughs> and, no and, don't do that and, and the pommel's like sharpened so it's, they think it's a pickaxe on really a sword <laughs> i love it uh, that'll do it for our character concept, Kobe the Adventurer. Kobe. Um, our monster variant today is <laughs> the Arc Forge Arbalist. Um, if that this sounds, sounds familiar, dangerous. it's uh, 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 the the sibling or the the twin of our Arc Forge Sentry. You're going to start with the gar- uh, gargoyle stat block. You're going to lose false appearance, bite, claws, and fly. And know what you're thinking? Gone. Fly, super powerful, but so we're going to deal with that by increasing damage. <laughs> Uh, skills, it's going to get proficiency in athletics and proficiency uh, in perception. You're going to get damage immunities to poison, vulnerability to lightning, and condition immunities. Charms, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, and poison. We're going to give it blind sight out to 10 feet and dark vision out to 120 with passive percep- or a perception of 16. Now, wow, that's really high. <laughs> let, Brandon, do you want to tell us about why we get to increase all the damage? Uh, let's see here. Anti-magic susceptibility. The Arc Forge is incapacitated while in the area of an anti-magic field. If targeted by Dispel Magic, the Arc Forge must succeed on a con save uh, against the caster's spell save DC or fall unconscious for one minute. Ooh. That, that's, that's if the uh, players figure that out. If. 
Ian, do you want to tell us about the next feature? Yep, the death burst. When it dies, it explodes and the burst of crackling, arcane energy. Ooh, nice. Each creature within 10 feet of it must succeed on a DC 14 deck save, taking 48 lightning damage. Ouch. And can't take a reaction until the start of the next turn if they fail to save, or just half damage on a successful save. And after that, they also get the slam attack. Slam! Slam! Which is basically a 2d8 plus 4 budging damage. And if Yeesh. the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 14 con save, or it can't take reactions until the end of its next turn. Justin, you suck! Uh. <laughs> God. Uh, Arc Blaster. Range spell attack, plus 4 to hit. Range 150 to 300. Slash 300. I just found out that was something totally different than what I thought it was yesterday. <laughs> that was so funny. Hey, fuck right you. in the middle of our show. It's so bad. So, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why does he have disadvantage? Because it's between this. I'm like, that's not how that works. I've yeah. been DMing for four years. I've been doing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> uh, let's see. One creature. Uh, hit as a... Uh, equals 5, 1d6 plus 2 slashing, slashing damage, plus 2, 1d4 lightning damage. A target must succeed, or, yeah, a target must make a DC 14 dexterity saving throw. Uh, the target takes 18 lightning damage and can't take reactions until the start of its next turn on a failed save, or have as much damage on a successful one. So you're tasing them. Yeah. <laughs> you're tasing them from a range. But wait, there's <laughs> more. We're going to also give it arc burst that recharges on a six. The arc forge releases a flash of flashing orb of crackling energy that explodes on impact at a point that it can see within 150 feet. The energy pulses out in a chaotic blast. Each creature in a 20 foot radius centered on the point must succeed a DC 14 deck saving throw or take uh, 66 lightning damage on a failed save half as much on a successful one. If the target fails to save by five or more, they are stunned until the end of their next turn. BFG much? <laughs> hey, I took away its fly and I gave it a weakness. It gets to blow shit up. And it returns on a six. Yes. We got one well, more feature here. Yeah, the reaction. Retreating counter. When an attack misses the arc forge, uh, it can use its reaction to move up to half its speed and make an arc blaster attack. <laughs> oh, you missed. Fuck you. <laughs> I would be lying if I said this wasn't inspired at all by Mega Man. <laughs> the arc blaster thing um so yeah this is pretty straightforward the i because we um weakened it by stripping its flight uh fly it was only necessary to uh give it some more damage but then also giving it anti-magic susceptibility just was something that i felt was necessary um because it is a construct so what do you guys think it sounds like a death wish it sounds shocking oh my god i hate you All right, that's pretty straightforward. Um, I don't know if uh, the the image has been shown up. The artwork for this thing is absolutely awesome. Um, I finished oh, writing pretty. up the lore and the stat block and everything for it, so that'll be going out to uh, patrons uh, this uh, Tuesday. So if you want more monsters with lore backstory, um, not just backstory, but lore that you can feed with knowledge checks to your players, which is something that's really fun that I enjoy doing. So no, don't scare me. All right, uh, that'll do it for our uh, monster, the Arc Forge Arbalist. Brandon, would you like to tell us about our encounter today? Our encounter for this uh, week's podcast is the Unwitting Delivery. The characters are hired by a merchant named Murlog. <laughs> okay. Uh, he needs guardians to protect his precious shipment all the way to a major city. The journey by horse is a three-month journey. Good God. Uh, but time is precious. 
He believes there is a teleportation circle in an abandoned wizard's tower just a single month ride from their current location. Uh, he is hoping to hire a spellcaster who can enable it. He believes this is the safest and fastest way to ensure his delivery is on time. <laughs> it turns out to throw him on the other side of the planet. <laughs> Most of what Murlog says is true. Though he lies about what he is carrying. He informs Uh-oh. the party that he is delivering goods to a medicine woman. The truth is, he is being blackmailed into taking a wagon with the glyph of warding set on it. Oof. Additionally, the glyph is designed to explode just about the end of the trip if he doesn't deliver it and contacts uh, his blackmailer, or if he doesn't deliver it, if he, uh, and contacts his blackmailer. When this cart explodes, so does the one holding his family. Oops. And the reason for what the wizard's power is so he can gain enough time to seek aid from any who will help him save his family before the time's up. That's fair. <laughs> what do you guys think about this? You ever see that movie Speed? Yes. <laughs> That's what it makes me think of. Yeah, I can see that. I can see the relation. This is definitely something that I, I thought was interesting because he's on a time frame, but he's trying to exploit it so he can do what's right. Yeah. In spite of the risk to his family. If that's not the most... Her- that's... That's a way to show that NPCs can be just as heroic or even more so than the player characters. Yep. Wow. Especially what's interesting is when the par- car- par- the characters uh, succeed on some sort of insight check and realize he's lying. Because what are they going to think about it? Oh, uh, what are you really carrying? That, or he's out for what? Out to double cross him. Yeah. Like, he might be uh, doing yeah, something bad to right. them. Um, so to me, that's really intriguing, and I like those sorts of uh, <laughs> speed three, true horsepower. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, I think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, Unwitting Delivery. Um, Ian, would you like to tell us about our magic item today? Oh, that sounds sexy. I know. The magic item today is the Blood Crown. It is a wondrous rare item. It is made from crystallized blood, which is seen as a gift of devotion. What the fuck? Your Christmas score becomes 19 while you wear the crown, and it has no effect if your Christmas already at 19 or higher. Nice. Also, while wearing this crown, you have a vantage on sitting throws on resisting fear effects, and you may also approach the source of your fear while you are fear. Holy shit. I mean, you're wearing a crown of blood. <laughs> what skills you at that point? <laughs> God. Additionally, as an action, you can exude the fearful presence of your deity. Uh, each creature of your choice in a 15-foot cone in front of you must succeed on a wisdom save. Uh, DC 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your charisma bonus. Which is going to be really high because you're wearing a, a crown that boosts up the right. hell up. Uh, or drop whatever it is holding and become frightened for the duration. While frightened by this effect, a creature must take the dash action and move away from you by the safest route available on each of its turns unless there is nowhere to move. If the creature ends its turn in a location where it doesn't have line of sight of you, it can make a, uh, it can make another wisdom save to try to break it. On a success, it ends the effect. Once the special action is used, it can't use it again or you can't use it again until the next dawn. But yes, think about this. I don't know where this came from, but I like it. It's a really cool idea. It's neat. Well, I'm glad you like it. It's very it's one of the uh uh more uh simpler uh magic items. But it basically was a dark version of the intellect band, headband thing, right. which I think does something sim- does the same boost to the the intelligence stat. So huh. um, I like I like anything that's got an awesome name like the Blood Crown, just because it it sounds awesome. Our dungeon master oh, tip shit. of the podcast is a quick chase improv. 
turn-based tabletop RPGs are notoriously bad at creating compelling chase scenes. Uh, yeah. But dropping the need for miniatures and maps improves the situation a little bit. If you use a list to show who is running first, second, and third, that's usually enough to know how the chase is going. So ask each of your players uh, for one primary action each turn and keep it going smoothly around the table. Force the slowest character to drop out of the chase after a round or two. So this basically means they're losing, they're, everyone else is outpacing them. Yeah. Uh, the chase may be resolved one way or another much faster than you think uh, will with less formal movement and action rules, um, which I think is a, a good thing. Uh, the point is to make it feel fairly quick. I think to dragon out a chase scene is almost always counterproductive, and a quick chase can lead to a great twist or re- reversal. Mm-hmm. Now, for instance, a thief fleeing with the cleric's golden holy symbol is a clear moment that might lead right into an ambush. Ooh. With the slow dwarf warrior in full plate wildly out of position. Uh, <laughs> time for quick thinking by a fleet-footed monk at the front. Yeah, uh, this comes right from Cobalt's Guide to Game Mastering. If you have not checked out that book, it is amazing. So much good content. Cobalt Press is awesome. Um, I really think this is something that re- we really do struggle. That's why I totally went to skill challenges for quick chase scenes. Because it's just easier that makes sense and like when you were throwing us through the uh the crumbling mountain yeah yeah that do you want to tell him about that uh he he put us through a skill challenge through a uh a cave we were trying to get out of because there was th- this this big old volcano like mountain was uh, starting to cl- collapsing on itself and he's like okay i need you to do this oh so, look this bridge is out what are you gonna do oh we're gonna jump it and it's like oh uh my guy uses this special blast that lets him fly to the air. It's like, okay, you get advantage on it. And we just kept doing that. And I think we all escaped for, except for two of us, they got, like, stuck. Yep. Like, we need to get out of there, otherwise they're going to die. do you think that that was memorable because it was a skill challenge, or do you think it would have been more so if it was done with, like, minis and stuff? I think it leaving it to the uh, Theater of the Mind was the better idea. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And Oh, look, no Ian to complain about it. <laughs> I guess you don't get an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just like, just like, just sit back, sit back, sit back, thank you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, goodness. Uh, uh, anyways, um, pretty straightforward. I recommend this uh, Theater of the Mind, giving primary actions. This is a great opportunity for the DM to include core features of that person. So if you're fighting a barbarian, obviously letting them jump is going to, you can, you know, describe the tensing of their muscles as they do a big Hulk-like jump while... Maybe a repelling blast warlock might jump and then blast the ground behind him with his repelling blast, which is a nice way to uh, um, uh, do that. Uh, Dalsinia says there's actually action maps from 4E that were pretty much flowcharts with either or options for rolling <laughs> to make past scenarios. How do I not know this? I own almost every single 4E book, and I am not familiar with this. So either I overlooked it or what, but I got to check that shit out. Send me where you found it, Dulcinea. Now, do it, do it now. Uh, <laughs> all right, that'll do it for our dungeon master tip: the quick chase improv from Game Cobalt's Game Guide to Game Mastering. Yeet. Our player tip of the podcast is: don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. Way to put the emotion behind it, Brandon. Okay, don't be a dick. You can avoid dick too by not going to the bathroom in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> he must have ate something spicy. <laughs> I wonder if he's on his phone, like watching us right now. I was like those motherfuckers. <laughs> 
get feedback from Alicia in the house. Um, all right. <laughs> so, uh, knowing when to fight, everyone. Almost every monster you meet while on an adventure is dangerous, <laughs> but not all of them are hostile. A lot of creatures in an adventure environment attack on sight. So when something doesn't attack, it's really worth keeping your sword sheathed for a few minutes while you try to understand what's going on. Um, Uh, Yeah. Why would you want to talk to a monster? Well, there are a lot of things a friendly or neutral monster may be able to tell you about an adventuring environment, such as the location of any boss monsters. How about the history of the local area? Mm -hmm. The location of any prisoners. How about the identity of an important enemy? Information about disarming or avoiding a trap. Oh, that's nice. Instructions to open a secret door. The weakness of a powerful monster in the area. Clickety-clack. Wait, wait. Why oh. did you tell us the weakness of, this, of, the, of that, that monster? Because he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's screwing us all over, not just you guys. How to get to the next level. What'd you give? You find, like, a, a li- lying monster. is like, oh, yeah, you can get to the next level. Go through that room. You go to that room and you die. <laughs> <laughs> the location of treasure. Ugh. All of this information may be lost if you kill everything on sight. And it's worth noting that even some hostile creatures are willing to talk to enemies before combat is joined. Dragons are notorious for this. Yeah, they like hearing themselves they talk. Like, they, they do. They're kind of <laughs> like me. I bet you I was a dragon in a fantasy world. Um, yeah. This great piece of wisdom comes from our good friend Empty Black and his book, the Art of War for D&D players. You need to pick this a, shit up. It's got amazing tips in it. That's a fantastic name for a book. I my copy of the Art of War. Just for this tip. Sun Tzu. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I remember one time in the game, we convinced a mercenary that we were not there to cause trouble. Then we walked back in the room later. You killed the dragon, didn't you? Yep. Well, my pain's gone. Takes his a- backpack and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, uh, that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out today, as always, we like to give away fat loot. Brandon, what are we giving away today? Varathrem's uh, Tribal Siege. Yes. A Storm King's Thunder Adventure. Fight off an ambitious young green dragon in this expansion for Storm King's Thunder. If you haven't done Storm King's Thunder, it's fun. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, or can be dropped into any story. Well, then... Okay, then. Yeah. Uh, this adventure will bring your party to... Wildham, a, a small town located in the Westwood. Yeah. Come in and conquer, guys. <laughs> <laughs> there they will face off with Verathrim, a young green dragon that has taken control of a local kobold tribe. If the adventurers think they can easily take the weak creatures, they have a surprise coming to them. Harshly, oh, it's like we could take them on. Darwin wrote us a damn book out. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Souls. Uh, all right. Um, who's our winner today? <laughs> DM. What the fuck? Okay. D M Y T R O S S Z I L H A N. Congratulations, you're the winner. If you didn't win, have no problem. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. We always giving away fat loot. We like to make it rain on all the Grit Nation, which is great. Yep. Um, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, please visit <laughs> us at CritAcademy.com. Follow us on social media. Leave us a review. All that jazz. That'll do it for our show today. We want to thank Yay. everyone that stayed for our terrible jokes and our adult humor. 
Uh, I am your <laughs> you host, mean, Justin. Keep, keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, prepared heroes. heroes. Monster cockatees. Uh, who? The, co- the, the cockatees. The cockatees? Yeah, cockatees nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hanging out with Kira, I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 